Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about the latest market news, the possible return of higher oil prices and rising inflation, and the outlook for the world economy, with Sarah Gresky, Head of Investments, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to another Words on the Street. The backdrop this week is one of tragedy as the world mourns the turn of events we've seen in the Middle East. This week, it's just Will and I. So we'll cover off the latest in terms of oil prices, markets, and the outlook for the world economy. Will, we were just chatting about the note you put out on LinkedIn. Why don't you share that for our listeners? Yeah, Sarah, I mean, you're right. I think the most important point to get across is that, you know, everything we're talking about is pretty trivial in the context of in the context of what's been going on. From the investment side, the major thing that people have been watching is obviously the oil price because well, neither Israel nor Palestine are, are major oil producers, but Iran and Saudi Arabia obviously are very yeah. important. And one of the things that people have been talking about is whether on both of those counts, this conflict changes their incentive to dig it up and sell it. And also in Iran's case, perhaps the world's uh, appetite to actually buy barrels of oil from Iran. So th- th- those things are sort of up in the air a little bit. The oil price hasn't gone through the roof just yet. Uh, latest count, it's sort of around about heading towards 90 again. So in that region, so it's probably not adding to inflationary pressure materially just yet. But that's one of the major considerations, you know, outside of the the tragedy and suffering, obviously. So Maybe let's think about the inflation data that we saw in the US. It was the big data point of the week for markets. Simply, is it simply out of date because of the oil price rises over the last few months have yet to kind of fully seep in? What's your views here? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there is a lag. There does tend to be a lag of a couple of months between kind of a surge and opera. And what you did, what you have seen is that, you know, it was very much over the course of September where oil prices, you know, the, the Saudi Arabia and Russia deal, you know, side deal outside of OPEC to to continue their production supply restraint. It was it was seen as that as that sort of that drove oil prices from over the course of, of, of September. So we can expect that maybe to start showing up in indices, in, in inflation indices in the months ahead a little bit. But I'm not sure how much that should warriors just yet. The price rises so far may reinsert a little bit of inflationary heat, but the current expectations is that it's not going to put us back to square one necessarily. Okay. And remember, you know, one of the problems, I think this is just a side point, but remember with regards to measuring inflation, the deci- decimal points are irrelevant. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, yeah, it, 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 we just, you know, if you, you can read all sorts of interesting stuff on how we, how we try and capture inflation and quality improvements in certain goods, you know, so how do you, you know, how do you judge a Ford Mark III versus a Ford Mark VII in terms of inflation-adjusted indices? You know the quality differences and so on. And so these are get it's elegantly disguised guesswork basically. And and I think you know one of the things for those students of kind of longer term there was an interesting again I put this in inverted commas. There's a guy called William Nordhaus who wrote an interesting paper on the price of light. Over the price of light. The price of light over the ages, so over hundreds, even thousands of years. And what he looked at was basically he was trying to establish the degree of measurement error in inflation indices and GDP indices over time. And his argument, and, and what he does is obviously he looks at how effective 
things like candles were relative to current lights and how the quality changes over time. And his point to summarise a very complicated and I think quite elegant paper very reductively is that the measurement error is there, but it's pretty consistent over time. I'm smiling because I know that story and I'm just really hoping that it was you that told me that before, Will. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I'm sure you haven't got <laughs> as, uh, any more boring friends than I. <laughs> Actually, I've had it quite interesting, but I don't know what that says about me. Moving on. So in terms of last weekend and everything we saw since Israel and Palestine, there are lots of theories trying to link this up with Ukraine. Arguments suggested that as US global power fades, these times of conflicts are the result. I mean, a difficult question, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I think in our industry, there are at times like this no short just like there were lots of armchair epidemiologists when covid hit overnight experts able to sort of parade borrowed knowledge as if it was their own i did i was no different it's the same with kind of geo strategy geopolitics you know that there, there are no shortage of armchair generals in these situations and usually they're willing to put forward a big all explaining theory that tells you exactly why everything has happened but my only counsel is that you know and and our wise listeners will be onto this already, is that the world is routinely more complicated than that. Uh, there are multiple, there will be multiple contributing factors into this. The technological context could be one in many ways, as it has before. And it will take probably many, many years, even decades, for the sort of precise hierarchy of inputs into this current moment to be properly deciphered. So don't waste too much time in those big all explaining theories, those kind of mega theme ideas. I think sometimes they can, you lose too much important nuance. And so for investors, I, I would steer clear. It's generally good for bad pub chat, but not very much else. Well, I'm going to try you with an easier question okay, then. Please. Um, so let's move back to the UK. Now, I've seen quite a lot of gloomy headlines following the latest GDP data. Mm -hmm. Is it as bad as all that? How gloomy are you feeling? Not too gloomy, Sarah. I mean, apart from economically, obviously, you know, yeah, there are. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I, I think everyone is always gloomy about the UK economy. It seems to be a national pastime. We love talking it down. It gives us a sort of, you know, a little thrill, I think, to sort of wallow around in declinism and sort of how we were once great and now no longer, you know, all those kind of things. That's, that's, that's very much the kind of national, seems to be the national dialogue. But I would be wary of getting too gloomy, I have to admit. It's not that stuff can't go wrong in the UK economy. And yes, there will be parts of the economy under enormous strain with these interest rates. And that's, you know, something to be to be aware of. But the point that I think is worth just bearing in mind is that inflation adjusted wages are turning into are turning into a positive. So there's there's actually for the first time in a couple of years, positive inflation adjusted wage growth year on year, which is important to have your you know, your aggregate salaries growing in inflation adjusted terms. That's quite a powerful thing in many ways and quite an underestimated thing by the commentariat, I think. So, yeah, don't get too bleak on the UK economy. And I, and I also do feel quite strongly that this new technological paradigm, which we're now sort of messily stumbling into, it, it could be a huge one for the UK in particular in many ways. There's possibly more for 
generative AI to go for in the UK in some ways. So remember, the last few decades even may not contain that much information about what lies ahead for the UK economy. And I know we say that a lot with regards to investments generally. Yeah. That's at the heart of our investment philosophy is the idea that, you know, the recent past may not tell you all that's coming. And that's why, you know, all our very clever guys spend so much time designing funds and portfolios that should be resilient to multiple potential paths ahead, and including those where there's, you know, a kink in the road kind of thing. The same is true of the UK economy. Yes, there's been a bit of a dry period and a difficult period politically, economically and otherwise, but that may not contain as much information as we think about what's coming down the Anything else that's keeping you optimistic? Well, you know, so so one of the things so I've been lucky enough to do sort of like the rounds with with a lot of clients this week actually, sort of you know meeting lots of clients in various parts of the the bank, and so a really sort of heterogeneous crew of individuals and businesses and so on. And one of the things that I was thinking about with regards to the role of banks in this current not just Barclays, but I do think this podcast and maybe sort of what we do is, is part of this story. But if you go back to, and I'm going to hear the listeners sigh. Oh, how far back is he going to go? Yeah, 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 that's yeah, what we're here he goes. Here he goes. Well, one, in, uh, I've been reading, and this is tragic as well, a thesis submitted for someone's doctorate at LSE about something called knowledge, the role of knowledge access institutions in the, in the first industrial revolution. And the point about this is for the period previous to the 18th century, what you'd get is this build-up in what the physicist David Deutsch calls explanatory knowledge. But essentially what happens is the scientific revolution comes along and you're increasingly from that bit, you get the toolkit to start banishing superstition and lots of kind of knowledge cul-de-sacs. And so you start building our knowledge about the world around us. Now, ultimately in the Industrial Revolution, that knowledge mountain starts to pay out like an overfilled fruit machine in terms of inventions and living standard improvements and all those kind of things. But the thing that helped the UK really get to the front of that were these things called knowledge access institutions. So you can think about things like the Royal Society and other things. And the point about these things was they weren't sector specific. So they they were operating across tram lines, across sectors. So lots of people from lots of different areas of the economy could come along and have this kind of trusted source of information and debate and discussion about how to do it. Now, Part of the problem we have right now, if you think about it, is like you've got exploding amounts of explanatory knowledge. You know, in fact, you know, so much so like artificial intelligent large language models are growing our knowledge base faster than we can explain with theory. The problem we have, though, is that those knowledge access costs aren't coming down with the size of that knowledge mountain because of all of, you know, the factoids, the fake news, all the various kind of purveyors of false news, whatever. You know, it's very difficult to see the wood through the trees in knowledge terms. And so I think part of the thing about the UK at the moment, and it's part of the role that we have within that, just thinking about it in terms of optimistic take, is how can you solve for providing good quality information in amongst all of that noise? And how can you continue to bring the costs of accessing that knowledge down? Because that is key. If you have the initial invention, it's the follow-up in terms of innovation, which is key. And that's the really, really important bit about how to like make the most of these industrial revolutions and try and sort of do it. And it doesn't just have to be banks, but banks sit at a very useful intersection 
of the economy in a way because of all the sectors and people we meet. I'm going to risk one more question though before we finish. Is there anything in terms of the team's current investment positioning you could call out? What's on your mind there? Well, I mean, so it's interesting because I mean, you know, as you know, within the, there's something called the tactical portfolio, which is really a sort of, you know, a package of little investment positions designed to add over time little kind of return cherries on top of the return cake that the strategic asset allocation and manager selection and all that. I never really thought some of cherries before, but thank you. Yeah, sorry. Cake is what I'm after. Now, these guys, you know, I think in deference to the fact that the outlook, you know, I think is, 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 you know, is very uncertain. You know, there are upside scenarios plausible and there are plausible downside scenarios in the sort of next five, you know, six to three to six months, let's say. And so the package of positions kind of reflects that, that there are a number of ways that you want to benefit from that that world in a way. It, it's not so, the point I would make in terms of those positions is again, this is not the time for the kind of big high conviction butch <laughs> investing in a way discretion is the better part of valor you know humility all those kind of things that's the way to approach this world but with in mind keeping in mind that the world economy should always be treated as innocent until proven guilty that is because growth is the norm not the exception and that's the thing that you just keep on having to remind yourself in amongst the gloomy news flow doesn't mean that stuff can't go wrong that things can't break and like i say there's enormous amounts of strain being put on the global financial system just that you know you should remember not to get too gloomy all the time just because just because basically okay well i think that's a great place to end so <laughs> growth and try not to get too gloomy. So Will, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you listeners for joining us. I look forward to speaking with you all soon for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.